Welcome to part nine of our series in Acts, the message and the messenger. It's been a bit of a roller coaster ride so far as we have tracked the founding of the early church. It's not been a smooth ride uh, by any means, but there has been progress. If you remember Jesus back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says to his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here Jesus has mapped out a trajectory for the spread of the gospel, that the gospel will be preached to both Jews and non-Jews. And this was always God's plan. Uh, Back in Genesis 12, God promised to bless all people uh, through Abraham. And Acts 9 represents a significant moment in these plans as Jesus chooses Saul, whom we will come to know as the Apostle Paul, uh, to specifically proclaim his name to, the, to non-Jews, to the Gentiles. We first meet Saul actually back in chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7, chapter 7 verse 59, uh, when the witnesses to Stephen's stoning uh, laid, their f- laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then also in chapter 8, verse 1, Luke tells us that Saul approved of their killing him. And so while Saul may not have thrown stones at Stephen, he wasn't an innocent bystander. He was seen as one of the leaders whose approval and authority were sought for the martyring of Stephen. And here in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 2, we read that the execution of Stephen was really only the beginning of Saul's reign of terror against the Christians. As a zealous Jew, he threatened to imprison imprison, and he threatened to to murder even um, any who belonged to the way, an early term for followers of Jesus. And he he even went to Damascus, a city, or planned to go to Damascus, a city two, more than 200 kilometres away from Jerusalem. This guy wasn't mucking around. His strategy was simple. Search and destroy. And we all know how that went, right? Uh, He was intercepted. Chapter 9, verses 3 to 5 read, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Awkward, right? You know that awkward moment when you don't or you can't connect the dots? Like the time when I was in the middle of critiquing a book um, and I asked someone if they had heard of it and um, he nodded and, and under his breath mentioned that he'd actually written it. Awkward, right? Thinking he was doing the work of God, Saul was actually persecuting the Son of God. He hadn't connected the dots. And yet even as this bright light blinds him, he begins to see now more clearly than ever. And in his encounter with the risen Lord, he begins to understand truths that will go on to shape his life and his ministry and his teaching. And at this point in the series, I just thought it'd be nice to slow down a little um, and and consider just, just three of these truths. First, Jesus is Lord. There was no other conclusion 
when faced with the reality of the risen Jesus, who had certainly died, but was now alive and ascended and all-powerful. And that Saul met the risen Jesus not only reveals Jesus for who he was, but for the believer, it revealed that there is a certain hope beyond the grave, because Jesus had paved the way. Saul will later write in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is such a crucial moment in in Saul's life as Saul meets the risen Lord Jesus. Second, Jesus identifies and cares for the church. As, as Kim was reading the, the passage, did you pick up on the language that Jesus uses? It's actually very hard to miss. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus actually identifies with and cares for his people so that to per- persecute his people is to persecute Christ himself. Now Saul is probably still reeling from the first uh, eye-opener and so he probably doesn't come to understand this just yet but he will come to understand it. He will go on to teach that the church is Christ's body, the universal church but also the local church as an expression of the universal church. This is a huge moment in Acts. As the early church is being established, as little communities of Christians are beginning to gather around the scriptures, and now even as they are systematically hunted down, Jesus takes ownership of the church. And in everything that has happened so far in Acts, and everything that is yet to come in Acts, and even in the New Testament, and even in the history of the church, this is a decisive and a historic moment. And I think it's worth us reflecting on this too. I mean, what does it mean for us here and now that Jesus identifies with and cares for his people so much so that to persecute his people is to persecute Christ himself? Let's reflect on that together for a little bit. Let's be clear. It is his church And to hate it is to hate Jesus. To dishonour it is to dishonour Jesus. To neglect it is to neglect Jesus. But let's also be clear on this. No church, including this one, is perfect. You know that. I know that. But that doesn't mean that it isn't any less than Jesus' body. We're still sinners. We're called to speak the truth in love so that we may grow in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. We're in this together. And Jesus delights in encouraging and equipping his people to that end. It also means that he feels his people, his people's pain, whether they be inflicted from outside the church or even from within the church. He feels the body blows. And I'm preaching to myself here uh, first and foremost when I say that therefore beware of your relationships within the church. Beware of your actions and your attitudes 
toward it. It's not a threat, it's just a warning. Jesus feels the body blows. And he won't always intercept the suffering and the persecution coming our way like he did for the Christians in Damascus. He won't always intercede so that uh, the, uh, the consequences of our own sin don't cause terrible pain and, and tragic damage. Yet he will always feel the body blows. And so we can come to him in understanding, for understanding and love. And because Jesus identifies with the church, we can identify with Jesus, right? As, as he represents us before God in heaven, we represent him here and now. We are his ambassadors to each other, but also to this world as, as though God were making his appeal through us. The high school I attended um, was very concerned with their reputation. They had a public, they had a reputation to, to uphold. And, um, and so when we walked home, we had to do so in our full school uniform. And when we went out in public, whether to uh, carnivals uh, or to excursions, etc., uh, we were to be above reproach. It was impressed upon us that our behaviour toward each other and others reflected upon the school. And in the same way, as a community of Christians, our behaviour toward one another and others reflects upon Christ. Now, as you will know, uh, churches haven't always been the best ambassadors. And so we're to unreservedly repent of that and turn to Jesus, the head, to build each other up as we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and mature. So first, Jesus is Lord. Second, Jesus identifies with and cares for the church. And the third truth that Saul began to understand on the road to Damascus was that of grace. The only way Saul could be saved was by the sovereign grace of God through the power of the very gospel he was working so hard to destroy. Saul was never going to come on his own. And so... Like us, Jesus calls him and he seeks him. I wonder if you'd turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy. This is a letter that Paul wrote, would later write to his protege. And here he reflects upon his conversion. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. This is what he writes. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Grace is that undeserved favour that God shows to all whom he saves. And what's more, it's a gift. Does it sound like Paul had received it? Does it sound like he understood it?
John Newton, the once slave ship captain and author of Amazing Grace, um, understood it very, very well. He would say on his deathbed, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly, that I am a great, great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. Do you know this for yourself? Have you remembered this? Can you resonate with this author who writes, I know the magnitude of my sin today far more than I did when I became a believer. As you age in life, your physical eyesight may decrease, but as you mature in Christ, your spiritual eyesight sharpens. Can you resonate with that? May we, like Saul, grow and mature that we may see clearly the grace that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. And so begin by asking yourself, where were you when the Lord found you? You don't need a dramatic conversion story, but you do need to recognise that you were in need of just as a dramatic rescue story. We were all lost, but we have now been found. We were all blind, but we now see. That is your testimony. Whenever and wherever and however the Lord called you and sought you and saved you, you were once dead, but you are now alive in Christ. And so you're a new person with a new purpose. We're all called now to be instruments for his glory. But Jesus has a very specific purpose for Saul. And he revealed it first in a vision to Ananias, a Christian uh, living in Damascus, whom Jesus instructs to go and visit Saul to restore his sight. And this is how Ananias responds. Chapter 9, again, verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The number one public enemy of Christianity was to become the number one public witness for Christianity. The man who was once on a search and destroy mission was now on a search and rescue mission. But it wasn't his mission, right? Saul's story is a part of God's much larger story. I once saw a play called Paul uh, in a small theatre in Sydney. And it was basically a creative retelling of Acts 9 and the subsequent spread of Christianity. And it clearly wanted to portray Paul as the mastermind behind the movement, as if the spread of Christianity came about by the sheer power of his personality, as if he were the great mover and shaker behind the scenes. But that's actually not what we read here. This is God's mission, which Jesus embodies and accomplishes and the Holy Spirit extends and applies. Yes, Saul will play a significant uh, part in these plans, but he's been recruited. He's been recruited 
be a part of God's greater mission. As are we as followers of Jesus to proclaim his name, to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded us. And in this task, surely he's with us to the very end of the age. Truly no one is beyond the reach of the gospel. If God did this for this man, he can do it for any man, woman or child. Even those whom we dismiss as being too far gone. Why don't you think of someone now whom you think will never or could never become a Christian? And then pray. Pray that God would open their eyes like he did Saul's. And if you think that you yourself are too far gone, perhaps you're not on the road to Damascus, perhaps you're on another dark and dangerous road, you need to hear today that if Jesus can turn people like Saul around, he can turn you around. If God can forgive Saul, he can forgive you. We'll actually probably take a short break from uh, Acts as we re- uh, until we return to church together again, hopefully soon. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, we find a, a fitting summary of the whole of Acts so far. Right? Now that Saul has been commissioned and, and although he immediately finds himself in, in danger, in great danger, chapter 9, verse 31 then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Jesus' map that he had laid out back in chapter 1 verse 8 is being fulfilled. Christ's church was multiplying, multiplying and the gates of hell were not prevailing. The gospel had proved unstoppable and grace had proved irresistible. And now the greatest and most unlikely missionary ever known was now helping lead the charge. Saul will later write this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Let me pray for us as we finish. Father, we thank you that Jesus is Lord. We thank you that he identifies with and cares for his people, the church. And we thank you that he's shown us such grace. Father, we pray that today we might see him more clearly and see our need for him more and more clearly. And we pray this in his name. Amen.